So welcome to Restored Temecula. Uh, like I said earlier, my name is Herrick, and I'm one of the pastors here alongside Tom. You might notice that Tom is not here today. Uh, he is at Restored Uptown, which is another one of the churches that's in our family of churches. It's in North Park, San Diego, and Tom is there with them today, uh, ministering to them. We love Restored Uptown. Restored Uptown sent my wife Heather and I up here to help plant this church so Restored Uptown loves this community, has sacrificed much for this community, and so uh, Tom is down there encouraging them and building them up. So I get to preach uh, today, which is exciting. So uh, today, if you're new, we're in a series that's called Jesus Is, and we've been working through the Gospel of John. And we have been, we've gone through approximately five and a half chapters, so today we're just going to pick up right where we left off last week. And before, you guys hear some echo? Okay. Um, before, we, uh, before we dive in, I'm going to pray real quick. Um, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for, um, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you that we can come boldly into your presence with confidence. God, I ask you, as the Apostle Paul asked for the church in Ephesus, that you would empower us with inner strength through your spirit this morning. God, would, would Jesus Christ make his home in our hearts as we trust him? God, would our roots grow down into God's love and keep us strong? And would we have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is for us? Please grant to us that we'd experience the love of Christ, even though it's really too great, too amazing to really understand, God. And I pray that I'd be able to experience his love even right now as I preach, God, his delight for me and his delight for his people who are gathered here this morning. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to kick off uh, the sermon this morning by telling you guys a little bit about one of my favorite movies. Has anybody here seen a movie called Field of Dreams? Okay, some hands going up in the room. One hand back, stayed up there uh, for a bit, so there's some, uh, some passion here in this, in this crowd for this movie, which is great. You'll probably feel the same way I feel after I explain it to you. So if you've never seen it, this movie is from the late 80s. Some of you guys were not even born yet when it came out, but Kevin Costner played uh, Ray Kinsella. There's a Kevin Costner fan in the house. Didn't expect that. (laughs) And so if you haven't watched the movie, basically Kevin Costner's character, Ray Kinsella, he's a novice corn farmer. Uh, He doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's giving it a shot. And he lives in rural Iowa with his wife and with his daughter. And as the movie unfolds, we start to, to see that Ray is an interesting guy. Um, and he's, I mean, who just starts planting corn in Iowa without any experience? Like, pretty, pretty, pretty unique guy. Um, but he had a really troubled relationship with his dad. And actually, his dad died. When the movie starts, his dad has already passed. And they were estranged actually, when he died. And I'll, get, I'll tell you a little bit more about his dad later, but um, they live on this beautiful, incredible plot of land. Think like this gorgeous country-style house. It's just amazing. Um, you can see corn for days. And he's just trying to figure out this farming thing. And then one day, this really famous scene, maybe you've seen it, one day, Kevin Costner's just walking through like these corn stalks that are probably this tall. And he's just walking through and he hears a voice. And the voice says... If you build it, he will come. 
And he's like, what? What? And he kind of initially, he just kind of brushes it off because it's like, it's such, it's so out there. It's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm just, my imagination is playing with me. So he keeps walking through. Again, he's almost lost in the corn, this maze of corn. And then he just hears, if you build it, you will come. Same thing again. And I was like, well, now he's freaked out. And I was like, what's going on? And then his wife is um, kind of far away. She's sitting on the porch on a swing with her daughter. And he's like, did you hear that? And she's like, hear what, honey? Didn't hear anything. And so now he's kind of starting to, to freak out. And he keeps walking. And then he hears, if you build it, you will come. <laughs> he hears it again. And all of a sudden, he's like, OK, I heard it three times. Three times I hear the voice. So there must be something to this. And so then he's got to figure out what does he have to build and who the heck is coming when I build this thing, whatever this thing is. And then he has to reckon with the possibility that he's actually losing his mind, which is a, a real thing that he might, he might be going through. And so eventually, as the movie unfolds, he has a vision and he figures out what he has to build. What does he have to build? a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield in rural Iowa, which obviously sounds absolutely insane because what does the corn represent for him? It's his livelihood. So if he digs up underneath the corn, what's going to happen? His family's going to start to struggle financially. They might not be able to make it. Also, he's a novice. He doesn't know what he's doing. So everyone thinks he's nuts. His wife is like, relatively supportive. She's like, all right, honey, you can do this if you want to. And against all like sound judgment, he begins to tear up his cornfield and just plow underneath that corn. Everyone thinks he's absolutely lost it. But he actually ends up building this beautiful baseball field in the middle of a cornfield. And you can actually go visit that place today. Many people do. It's still there in Iowa and where they shot the movie. And it's beautiful, and it's awesome, and it's, it's amazing. But for months, he just sits there in the bleachers looking at nothing. He's looking at absolutely nothing. Nothing happens for months. Okay, and then one day, just out of the blue, what happens? A baseball player shows up. Shoeless Joe Jackson shows up. Who's, uh, by the way, if you don't know who Shoeless Joe Jackson is, very, very famous. He was involved in a scandal, basically, where the 1919 World Series, the team, the team that lost it, I think, through the World Series, they basically lost it for money. And so Shoeless Joe Jackson was disgraced. He was kicked out of baseball. And Shoeless Joe Jackson just so happened to be Ray, Kevin Costner's character's dad's favorite player. And so his dad used to tell him about Shoeless Joe Jackson. And all of a sudden, in the middle of Iowa, in a cornfield, Shoeless Joe Jackson shows up. And it's incredible. But it's not just Shoeless Joe Jackson. More people start to show up. Dead, dead ball players. It's like baseball ghosts. They start playing baseball games in the middle of the cornfield, but people can't see them because they're, they're dead. So Ray is still wondering, like, am I losing my mind? Am I going crazy? But he actually, he, he loves it because these are the players that he grew up hearing about. His dad would tell him about these ball players. His dad would share, like, you know, all the stories that he had. Because his dad actually, Ray's dad, played in the minor leagues. He knew a lot about these guys um, and who they were. But again, Ray and his dad were estranged when his dad died. And as a kid, 
Ray basically felt pressure to play baseball. And eventually, his, he, he kind of rebelled against his dad's authority. He was like, I'm not going to play baseball anymore. And his dad didn't react well. And long story short, they end up estranged. So baseball kind of has like a painful place in his life. But all these players start to show up. And as, as the movie unfolds, more stuff happens. There's more clues, more answers that he has to keep searching for and looking for. And then one day, he's, he's there at the baseball field, and all the baseball player ghosts are leaving. And Ray sees a catcher he's never met before who takes off his mask. You want to guess who it is? His dad. The young man. It's Ray's dad standing in front of him. Okay, his dad who had been dead. His dad who he had a falling out with. His dad that he never reconciled with, that he just had this regret and this pain that he never got a chance to talk to his dad. Well, guess what? Ray got his chance back. His dad was standing right in front of him. A powerful scene, powerful moment. He got, a, he got a chance to have the talk with his dad that he wanted. And so there's this famous final scene in the movie where Ray gets to introduce his dad to his wife and his granddaughter. So he gets to meet his family. Again, his, his dad had been dead. And his dad kind of famously asks, like, is this heaven? And Ray's like, it's Iowa. <laughs> but maybe it's heaven. And then Ray says, dad, famous scene, tearjerker, dad, you want to have a catch? <laughs> and, then, and then they play catch. And you might be like, that's the cheesiest thing you've ever heard. But, but if you want to see a grown man weep, put that movie on. It'll happen. And it's not just for men. I think there is like this, this longing that men and women have. This, it resonates. People still show up. The movie came out 30 years ago. People still go to Iowa to go there to play catch with their dad. This still happens to this day. I kind of want to go there someday. Maybe if I can get my dad to Iowa, maybe we'll play catch on the field of dreams. Maybe I'll do it with Josh. I don't know. But I think the movie really resonates with many of us because we long for a dad that's youthful, strong, present. He's with us. He's for us. A dad who never dies. A dad who pursues us no matter how far we've run away from him. And he covers our shame. And he delights in us instead. We long for a dad like this. And here's the thing that I want to propose to you. We have one. We have one. No matter what your relationship with your dad is like, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's just he's not around anymore, you can have a relationship like, like that. And we get a little window today in the text that we're going to read into what a relationship like that can look like as we look at the life of Jesus and see the kind of relationship he had with his father. So, if you have your Bible, turn with me over to John, chapter 5. I'm just going to read a few verses today. John, chapter 5, verse 19. We're going to read verses 19 to 23. So, quick context, if you weren't here last week, Jesus has just basically been like pulled over by the sin police, uh, he's, he's, they filed charges against him because he broke the Sabbath. And probably more important than that, he said, I'm working, my dad is working, we're working. And so he made himself equal to God. 
which is blasphemy in the eyes of the people that he was talking to. And indeed, it would have been blasphemy if it wasn't true. And so now we get to see how Jesus responds to their charges. But I want us to really focus in on what this interaction reveals about his relationship with God the Father. Because I think we need to pay attention to this if we want to understand what our relationship could be like with God our Father. So verse 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For as the Father judges no one, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay, there's tons going on here. Jesus is making some pretty astonishing claims. Uh, Did any of you guys ever do like go to work with dad day, potentially? I never got to do that um, with my dad, but Jesus is basically saying like, he has like a go to work with dad day mentality every day with God, the father, Uh, except he's not like writing computer programs with his dad, like he's raising the dead. He's giving new life. And he's like, I'm doing that. Oh, you can almost hear Jesus saying like, my dad would judge the world, but he's entrusted that to me. What Jesus is saying is breathtaking in its scope. For time's sake, I just want to focus on two things. There's so many things we could talk about. We just don't have time. I just want to focus on two things that we see in this passage that I believe are totally necessary if we want to have a loving, healthy relationship with our Father in heaven. So these are my two points for today. If you're taking notes, here they are. Number one, we must be secure in the Father's love. And number two, we must draw our identity from him. So we're going to talk about love, and we're going to talk about identity as we see it through this picture, this little window that Jesus gives us of his relationship with his Father, which is sort of the the quintessential prototype of relationship with God the Father. This is the kind of relationship that anyone can have with the Father, in a sense, in some sense. So number one, we must be secure in the Father's love. So real quick, John 5.20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Okay, so what do we see here? Jesus was secure in the Father's love. And, there, and as I was thinking about it, I was like, of course, like, how could he not be? Listen to the words from Matthew 3.17. This is when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. These are the words that come from heaven. Matthew 3.17 says this, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This, this is the voice of the Father over Jesus. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my boy Jesus. My heart sings over my boy. I could not be more pleased with him than I am right now, more satisfied than I am right now, more delight. There's a fullness of joy that the Father has over the Son. 
And do you want to know something crazy that hit me? I think I've heard this somewhere else before, but it hit me in a fresh way as I was thinking about this verse. Can somebody tell me what Jesus had accomplished in life to that point? As far as public ministry, miracles, signs, wonders, nothing. Thank you. He had done absolutely nothing. He was born. If you read Matthew 1 and 2, he was born. And then his family had to flee for their lives to Egypt so that they wouldn't kill Jesus. So he stayed alive through the providence of God. That's what he had done. He hadn't done much. Matthew hasn't recorded any signs, any wonders, any miracles, no fruitful ministry, nothing. Before God says, this is him, my boy in whom I delight. Scripture says, so you're like, well, okay, cool. What does this matter? Well, Scripture says that if we have put our faith in Jesus, that we are united to Christ. We're in Christ, which means that what's true of Jesus is true of us. That means if we're united to Christ by faith, please pay attention to this, God can delight in us just as he delighted in his son. I'm going to say that again. Please pay attention. This is so important. We kind of become dull to this. This is why I'm kind of emphasizing this. If we're honest, you kind of like, this probably just bounces off, doesn't really do much for you. But please, listen. God can delight in us just as he delighted in his son for united to Christ. What's at stake if we don't get this? Check out this quote from Dave Patty. This guy wrote Father God, this book that I'm going to recommend to you guys. He says, without love from the Father... This is why this matters in our daily life. Without love from your father, you will be constantly trying to gain love from those near you. Their love will never be enough, and you will be chronically disappointed. You may cope by turning off your emotions and becoming distant and cold. Jesus was not love-starved. He was not emotionally distant or cold towards people. He was tender He was alive emotionally. He was available to people. He wasn't closed off. He wept with people. He cried with people. He could both weep and party. He wasn't dead emotionally. He was alive. Do you want that to describe you? Probably, right? If you want that to describe you, then it's really important that we, be, that we understand how unaware of the magnitude and scope of God's love we are in daily life. Think back to Matthew 3.17. This is my son whom I love. My delight is in him. God openly lavished his riches of love on Jesus, right? Jesus had the Father's full love and full pleasure. Keep that in mind. Full love, full pleasure. Keep that in mind as we read a few verses. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, who had the Father's full pleasure, the Father sent him to the cross for us. What do you think that means about us? How do you think the Father feels about us? How do you think the Father feels about you right now? If you could see the Father's face, 
looking at you, what would you see? Disgust? Disapproval? Maybe like, well, I don't have a choice. I guess I have to take you. No. Not at all. Colossians 1, 21 to 22. This is out of the New Living Translation. You were his enemies. Okay, we were sinners. We were his enemies. We were separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions. Okay? So let's not downplay the fact that we are evil. It's just a reality. If you don't get that, let me, I had to break it to you. Um, you're evil, but don't worry, so am I. This is an us thing. This isn't a you thing. This is a me thing. This is an us thing. You were evil. You might not believe that. That's okay, but that's what the Bible says. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And the, the, what, what's, what's required there is to trust in Jesus, to persevere in your faith and trust in Jesus. But the Father, you, you want to stand, you want to, what would uh, uh, a, the Father's face look like if you were holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault? Thank you. Beaming. Do you think God views you that way? Honestly. Because it's true. 1 John 3.1 See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Jesus Christ, the Son, died so that his, the enemies of God could be made children of God. That was the Father's plan. God's fully loved, thoroughly delighted in Son, Jesus, died at the hands of his enemies for the sake of his enemies. Why? I have a son, Josh. You haven't met him. He's pretty cute. Um, I'm in, I, I like him. I love him. Um, I can't think of one single reason why I would give up my son for an enemy. I can't. I, wouldn't, I don't think I would do it. Sorry. Yet God gave up his own son for his enemies. You and me. What kind of love is this? How do you think God feels about you? How much does he value you? Is God going to take care of you when things get hard? Is he going to turn his back on you when you mess up? Or when you're, even when you're apathetic towards him, he's not apathetic towards you. Romans 8.32, I love this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Okay, just on the facts. Just on the facts. God's love is beyond question. God's love is beyond question. If this was a courtroom and God's love was on trial, he would be guilty as charged. He loves us. Case closed. If you're curious what like exhibit A is, Look at the cross. We sinned and rebelled against God, and so he executed a plan to save us through the death of his own son, Jesus, who, by the way, he's crazy about. He loves his boy, but he loves you 
in the same way he loves his boy. And the son, our big brother Jesus, lays down his life willingly. He wants to do it for us. Nobody held him at gunpoint. It's not like he was forced to do it. He willingly gave up his life for us, for you, for me. And yet, if we're completely honest, if you want to continue the courtroom theme, if you're a juror and God's on trial and his love is in question, can we just be honest? The jury's out. That's how we live. I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe. Hey, God loves you. Okay. Cool. No, no, no. God loves you. I guess. We're unconvinced jurors. Even though we have exhibit A. Jesus Christ on a cross. Actually, exhibit A would be, I guess exhibit B would be Jesus Christ raised in the presence of the Father. He's not on the cross anymore. He's been raised in new life. Okay, so I want to do, this is a book that I'm going to recommend today. It's called Father God. This is really high. Okay, I guess we're going to go up here today. This is a book called Father God, and the tagline is Daring to Draw Near. It's by a guy whose name is Dave Patty. You're going to want to write this book down. And this is a deep dive into the heart of the Father. It's a book for renewal. If you want to be renewed in the love of the Father, get this book. Start going through it. Start reading it. Especially if God's starting to stir up things this, this morning, this is a terrific next step for you. I'm reading this book right now. So if you start reading it and want to chat, hit me up. So he has basically, if, if you guys have, these are on at the end of your row, grab, grab one of these at the end of the row, pass it down if the people next to you don't have one. This is a little handout. comes from Dave Patty's book, and it's a, it's a love diagnostic. And on the back side, you'll see that there's an identity diagnostic. We're going to do both today. Okay, so the key idea, again, this is a quote that came up earlier. The key idea is this. Without love from the Father, you will be constantly trying to gain love from those near you. Their love will never be enough, and you will be chronically disappointed. And you might even cope by turning off your emotions and becoming distant and cold. So the big questions here with this love conversation are this. Am I loved unconditionally? Am I precious and treasured to someone? Do I matter to anyone? Does someone care deeply about me? Do I feel and hear your love and affection? And these could all be pointed towards God. So on a scale of one to five, from one being one being not true at all to five being very true. To what degree do these, the following statements resonate with you? We'll just kind of work through them. Number one, I am one of those people who doesn't need love. You ever feel that way? When people express love to me, it never seems to be enough to really satisfy me. I have a basic mistrust of others and I feel it's only a matter of time before they disappoint me. Is this resonating with you? Others say they don't feel loved by me. I know in my mind that God loves me, but I don't feel it. Don't raise your hand, but if I was to ask if that's true of you, I bet you 99% of the rooms 
the hands would go up in this room right now. Mine would too. It's hard for me to express love to others. Here's a good one. I feel awkward, nervous, and vulnerable in situations where affection is given or expected. Others experience me as cold and emotionless. I think that's been true of me many times. And I rarely feel totally safe in relationships with others. And last one, I can be easily manipulated by someone who expresses love and affection towards me. This is kind of like the puppy dog, like somebody shows affection and expresses something like you can't not chase them, pursue them. So that's, that's the love diagnostic. You can hold on to it. We're going to get to the identity diagnostic in a, in a little bit. So I, I think if you're like me as I was preparing this message, you probably feel like a pretty decent gap between what we just read about the Father's love for us and how you answered those questions. Those questions are the litmus test. That's how you know if you're actually experiencing the Father's love. If you feel emotionally cold, you know, if you feel cold and emotionless, if you don't feel safe in relationships, if you can be easy, easily manipulated, there's a, probably a good chance that there's a gap between what you would affirm on paper about God's love and what you're experiencing today. And that's true for many of us. And I guess... I just want to ask the question, like, are you okay with that? Are you okay with it? Are you okay with being a billionaire, essentially, spiritually, and living in a shack? Because you don't know how to draw on the riches you have in Christ. I'm not okay with that. Here's the thing. When we're not delighting in and being satisfied and secure in the Father's love, not only are we impoverished, but the people in our lives that we could freely give this love to are also impoverished. We end up sucking love from them as opposed to freely giving the love that we're overflowing with in life. So other people suffer too when we're not delighting in this love. Do you feel okay with not really feeling much when somebody tells you like, God really loves you, he delights in you? Are you okay with not being moved? I'll tell you what, I'm over it. I'm officially over it. I'm officially over being unmoved by God's love. I'm more aware of it and less okay with it than I have been in years. I want to experience the Father's love fully. And here's the mindset that we can have. This might seem impossible to you, but I'm going to read this quote anyway. This is what's possible for us. This is the mindset that we can have. This is a quote again from Dave Patty's book, Father God. He says this, this is, what, this is how we can, if we experience the Father's love fully, this is what can be true of us. We could walk around thinking, my Father cares deeply about me. I'm not alone. He shares his heart with me so I can know and trust him. If you notice in the, in the story that we were reading about Jesus, the Father reveals to Jesus what he's doing and he invites him into the work. So there's a, revela- uh, there's a sharing, a self-disclosure that comes with the love of the Father. The Father shares his heart so I can know him and trust him. When I hear the rejection of others, it doesn't destroy me. Why? Because I'm accepted and loved by my dad. Father love surrounds me on all sides and creates a place where I'm truly safe. 
Do you want that to be the song that's going on in your heart daily? When you're at rest, when you're here, do you want that to, to flow out of your heart as opposed to the anxiety and the fear and the worries that probably come up when you're resting? So here's my first point. In order to enjoy a healthy relationship with the Father, we must be secure in his love, like Jesus was. We must be secure in his love. Okay. Are you guys doing okay? And this, is, this is a lot. It's going to get better. I promise. Number two. Point number two. We must draw our identity from him. We must draw our identity from him. So this is an identity piece. So Jesus said to them, verse 19, 519, John 5, 19 says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Father can do nothing of his own accord. Sorry, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. What does that mean? Listen to this quote. Jesus knew who he was because he knew whose he was. Maybe you've heard that before. But it's true. And we don't experience that a lot of the times. Jesus knew who he was because he knew whose he was. He knew what to do because he knew to whom he belonged. His father was working, so he was working too. So Jesus had a sense of identity rooted in his father. And so he was able to do things that we, if we're honest, find very difficult, if not impossible to do. Here's some examples, just from the story that we read. Jesus spoke truthfully to people about what he saw in their lives. He was honest. He was being honest with the, with the religious leaders that he was speaking to. He wasn't being a jerk. He was being honest with them. Jesus took on criticism, okay, and in this case, utterly faulty criticism without lashing out or ghosting. Jesus was tough. He was tough. Here's a good one. In this story... We see that Jesus talked openly and passionately about God's loving purposes for his life without fear of what others would think. Jesus was bold. He wasn't afraid. And then maybe my favorite one, what was he doing in this story? What did he do? He healed a guy, right? I guess this was last week. He's defending himself in light of the accusations that are coming in light of his healing, but Jesus healed a guy who had been Effectively, he was about to die. He was, the life expectancy was about 40 years. He was maybe 38 years old, had been sick his whole life. He healed it. He, got it. he brought a man from death back to life, essentially. He gave him back his life. He did things that were never seen before, and he did it. Did he ever get proud, arrogant? Did he become a jerk, a self-focused, you know, conceited fill-in-the-blank? No. He did it all without becoming proud. He was humble. He knew who he was. He had a sense of identity that was grounded in the Father. And so he could be himself. He could be his honest, tough, bold, humble self, all while doing what pleased his Father. And he knew it. Does that sound appealing to you today? Does that sound like an appealing way to live? Does that sound like an appealing life? If you want to live that way, you have to draw your identity from the Father. Do you know whose you are today? 
And so let's go back to this handout. If you have it, flip to the back side. The identity diagnostic. So the key idea here. Here's a quote. Without identity from the Father, you will be defined by the people and circumstances around you. This will be constantly changing and unstable. You'll be very vulnerable to your environment and not have a clear sense of self. So the big questions that we're dealing with here are, who am I? Am I valuable? Do I have to be just like you to be significant? Am I competent? Am I capable? So let's go through these. These have wrecked me, just being honest, when I went through these. On a scale of one to five, from one being not true at all, to five being very true. To what degree do the following statements resonate with you? I feel like a failure. Every day. I often compare myself to others. Sometimes I hate myself. I don't like my body. I'm not happy with the personality that God gave me. I wish I was more like that other person. I don't like the gifts and abilities God gave me. I don't feel that who I am has much value or worth. I am much more aware of my weaknesses than my strengths. I often feel that if others found out who I really am, they would reject me. And I often find myself putting on masks so that I can be acceptable and fit in with others around me. Okay, that was probably painful for you. It was painful for me too. Here's the good news. This is just a diagnostic of where you're at today. This is not set in stone. This can change. That's why we're here, to grow in this, so that this does change. You can increasingly draw your identity from your Father in heaven. Think about Jesus. I love this verse, John 8, 29. Jesus just, this just came out of him. Listen to what he says. He who sent me is with me. My dad's with me. He hasn't left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. My dad's always stoked on me. And I am stoked that my dad is stoked on me. Stoked just means excited. Can you imagine what having that mindset would do for you? Think of you lived 24-7 with that mindset. My dad's with me. I please him all the time. He's right here. I'm good. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to keep loving people, pleasing my dad. I'm not going to worry about what other people think. You know, I'm just going to bring restoration to all things, which is what Jesus was doing. And by the way, we get to be a part of that. We make disciples. We help people be restored. We get to be about that work too. This isn't just for Jesus. He actually gave us a commission that says go and make disciples of all nations. What he started, we continue, we carry on with his help and empowerment, obviously. But nevertheless, we're about our Father's work too. Can you imagine being like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm just going to do what pleases my dad. I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to disciple people. I'm going to help them grow up into maturity in Jesus. I'm going to help them get excited about who God is in their life. I'm going to challenge them to keep growing. I'm going to celebrate with them when things are going good. I'm going to cry with them when things are going bad. I'm going to have no envy over what they have that I don't. I'm not going to worry what people think or how so-and-so is more gifted or funnier or better looking or makes more money 
or has more stuff or has the, the recognition that I'm longing for, I don't need to worry about it. Can you imagine cultivating a mindset like this? What would that do for your life? How about transform it? Transform it. And here's the good news. You can begin to cultivate a mindset like this today. So here are my two points. In order to have a healthy relationship with your Father in heaven, we have to draw our sense of identity. Sorry, we we have to find our sense of security in the Father's love. And we have to draw our identity from him. So love and identity. Here's the thing. You're never going to feel secure in your father's love or draw your identity from him if you don't understand what he's doing in this story. Jesus is giving people new life. John 5.21 says, Just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. Jesus is embodying the new life he himself seeks to give us. He's not just showing you what's possible. He's making it possible to have this kind of a relationship with your father. Think about it. Your sins, if you believe in Jesus, cleansed, gone. Your heart, being transformed and renewed. Your desires are being changed to love God and love people and obey God. And it's not coming from a place of earning anything. It's a response to the incredible love that he has for us, right? Listen to what happens as we experience and enjoy this new life of love for God and for people. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, get this, we will come to him and make our home in him. Yep. That's right, brother. Or sister. Sorry, I don't know, who's, I don't know who it is. Can you imagine that? To be a child in the arms of your father, to know that you're cared for, to know that when you cry, your mom and your daddy's going to take, your, your dad's going to take care of you, to know that you're never going to be forgotten, never set aside, that your dad enjoys you, that he loves you, and he wants to make his home with you. Jesus is promising the father will make his home with whoever receives Jesus, believes in him, and begins to live out this new life with him. That's the gift. He's, he's walking around in the Gospel of John making everything new. He's healing people. He's setting people free. He's giving people new identities. He's convincing people of his love, showing it, manifesting it. And because of what Jesus has done, we get the Father's love. The Father loves us. Jesus secures that love for us so we can be give, begin to live a new life that pleases him. So you may be like, okay, I get this, or I want this. So what does this look like practically? Almost done. Now I just want to, I felt like as I was preparing this message, it just kind of felt like God was like, just share what's going on in your life. And so I'm like, okay. I've been experiencing transformation in this area of my life. It's slow, but it's happening. And I realize as I think about love and as I think about identity, my dad, my earthly dad, I think he loved me, provided for me, and was as affectionate as he possibly could be with me. I had a good dad who gave me good gifts. I'm really affectionate with my kids. It's like physically, I hug them and kiss them all the time because my dad was like that. Very easy for me to respond that way. 
with affection. My dad gave me that gift. Now, with respect to my identity, I have a void I've discovered recently. I have an identity void. And I think there's reasons for it that I was completely unaware of that, that God the Father has been revealing to me. There's a sense in which I didn't experience my dad's pleasure in, a, in, in, in that I didn't follow the, the track that he had in his mind for my life. So what, what do I mean by that? So I think that in my life, the identity that I've been working kind of like the identity void comes from not living up to my dad's expectations for my life. And my dad was a successful businessman, a brilliant engineer, and he crushed it at athletics. That was my dad. And of course, he wanted that for me because that was the key to the good life from his perspective. And so I've never been good at business ever. I got a business degree. We ran a little Airbnb in San Diego just to make ends meet. It is a disaster. Like, I, I mismanaged the book so badly that by the end, we like owed $1,000. I'm like, I don't know how we, <laughs> I don't know how this happened. That was this week. Terrible at business. Terrible. And engineers, apparently, any engineers in the house? You got one, Josh. You got to be pretty good at math, right? Yeah. Okay. I got D's in math. Engineering went out the door real quick. Athletics, I got cut from my baseball team. And now, so I feel like just a, uh, just a disappointment, you know? It's got this void. The day I got cut, again, my dad was a very loving dad. He was an imperfect man, just like all dads are. The day I got cut, I needed him to tell me, I love you, I'm proud of you for trying, and it's going to be okay. And instead, he took it personal. He got angry at the coach. And my heart was just never... You know, it's just this void. Like, I can't... uh, I've been trying to fill it. Now I'm a pastor. (laughs) Good night. My family is Catholic. Catholicism is broad and wide. And there's generous generous Catholics and not-so-generous Catholics, just like there's generous Protestants and not-so-generous Protestants. My side of the Catholic... My upbringing was on the less generous side, okay? We, wouldn't, we weren't excited about non-Catholics. I used to view non-Catholics as threats, and the ones who really believed what they were saying as cultists. So the, the climate around me that I grew up with led me to think that pastors were either accidental deceivers or just straight-up con artists. That's what I believed growing up. Now, here I am. And I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that pastors are con artists or accidental deceivers. I mean, that could happen, but um, I don't believe that's just true of all pastors by any means. But here's my point. My life has not lived up to its billing. It hasn't. Neither has this podium. (laughs) So with respect to my calling as a Christian and as a pastor, it's sort of like, I feel like I've failed and brought a black mark on my family's record. At best, I've like strayed from the path that was set before me. At best. And that's hard to deal with. There's an identity void there that comes with that. And I've been trying to fill it for I don't know how long in different ways. Success, knowledge, impressing people, 
And by the way, I'm confident that this was in no way my dad's intent. You know, I think my parents have come to grips with my faith, faith and my calling, and they accept it. And I know that they're proud of, of you know, how we're raising our kids. And so I know that my parents, have, that there's a level of pleasure there, but there's also a void that I can't deny. And I'm learning this now as I approach middle age, kind of late in life to be figuring this stuff out, but better late than never, I guess. And I'm just starting to figure out how this affects my daily life, my relationships, how I view everything. But now as I'm discovering these things, the Father has been lavishing his love on me in tangible and beautiful ways. I'll give you one. I told you I got cut from my baseball team. Uh, I pretty much have always felt like an abject failure in in that regard. My dad was really good at baseball. I was supposed to be really good at baseball. I always underperformed and underdelivered, and uh, my my talent exceeded the production. If that makes any sense, underperformer, failure. That's how I felt. I had two moments of glory playing baseball. I had two home runs over the course of fifteen years, which is roughly one every eight years, <laughs> approximately. Not amazing. It's not amazing. By the way, if you hit zero, I'm not bashing you. It's just. I was expected to do more. And my dad wasn't there for either of those moments. He was traveling. He was a busy businessman. I get it. He was providing for my family. But there was a void there. Again, identity, drawing identity from athletics, from sports, from baseball. And I had this moment, a, defined, a couple of defining moments where my dad was not there. And I just recently realized that I had never let God into that pain, that void. And I did, recently, And we believe as a church that God speaks through visions and dreams still today. If you don't believe that, that's fine. You don't have to. But as I started talking to my father in heaven about this, I think he gave me a vision. And it was a really impactful one. And has anybody ever been to Fenway Park before? Okay, at the end, if you do a Fenway Park tour, at the end there's this amazing museum. And the centerpiece of this museum is this trophy case where there's like dozens of baseballs. And each baseball is signed by the World Series winning team from like the 1920s on to the present. It's a collection that's worth millions. Okay? It's invaluable almost. And Heather and I got to see that when we were in Boston recently, and I was like, this is so... I took pictures of it, I was like, this is amazing. And as I started sharing my heart with my, my father in heaven, and just telling him how much of a void I have in that area, how I feel like a failure as a baseball player and it's connected to feeling as a failure in my identity. I feel like he gave me a little vision, a picture of him putting two baseballs in a case. And it was like he was saying, I was there, I value those moments. And I just wept. And there was a little part of me that was dead that I think came alive in that moment. And I've had moments like that recently as I've been inviting the Father. And I tell you what, right now, I can say this honestly, I feel the Father's pleasure in ways that I haven't in a long time. He loves me. He treasures me. I feel so delighted in right now. I don't care. I'm preaching long, so I apologize. Sorry, Tom. (laughs) And okay, this isn't a performance. Like, this is my Father I get to tell you about our Father's love for us and inspire you to, to, to get after it, 
to embrace the Father's love for you. By the way, I'm gonna say it again. This book, very helpful to do this, okay? If you want a practical handhold through this process, get this book. Dave Patty, P-A-T-T-Y, Father God. This is gonna be true for you. But here's the thing. Do you guys remember the, we talked about Feel the Dreams at the beginning of this message? It was 50 minutes ago. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> so, what did Kevin Costner's character have to do in order to have this experience with his dad? He had to clear out a bunch of corn. And I feel like the father wants you to know that, there, that even though he cleared out corn for us, it's more like we have to clear out debris in our hearts that keeps us from experiencing the father's love. I'm talking about potentially father wounds, identity voids. In some cases, it's just honest sin. Like we've sinned against our, we've been sinned against and we've sinned. And so we're hard-hearted. It's all sorts of debris. And we can start to clear it. So that we can experience. So that when I tell you God loves you and delights in you, you can actually receive it. It makes a difference. It doesn't just bounce off because there's all this debris in your heart. Or it just doesn't make a, you know, doesn't make a dent. So for you, it might be forgiving your dad. For you, it might be honestly going through the process of, of giving your hurts, your wounds, and your pains that you've experienced from, at the hands of your earthly dad and putting them on the cross of Christ, nailing them to that tree so he can carry your burdens and so you're not carrying your burdens from out of your own resources and drowning under the weight of that and weighed down and heavy. Jesus can take that. I'm not saying this is going to be magical or overnight, but this is a process that you can engage in if you want to. If you want to begin to clear debris, you can. So I'm going to call the band back up. And I have a few questions to ask. To think about, for you guys to think about. Here's the first one. What do you think is keeping you from experiencing more of the Father's love today? What do you think is keeping you from experiencing more of the Father's love today? How do you need to experience his love today? Do you need to experience his loving control over your life and situations? Do you need, to, do you need him to tell you how much he cares about you and that he, he's aware of what you're going through and he's engaged with where you are? What do you need from him today? I think there's three ways you can respond. Number one, you can talk to him. We're, we're gonna sing songs for about 10, 15 minutes. You got 10 or 15 minutes. Before you get into the craziness of this week, take these 10 to 15 minutes and really do business with God. If you have kids, your kids are being watched right now, they're safe. You can just engage in a way that you can't during the week. Talk to him. Or maybe you're here and you're just like, I just wanna celebrate his love. I feel like, I want to celebrate his love. In the back, we have communion. That's a physical manifestation, representation of his love for you. You can take it. You can go and take communion with someone and to celebrate the fact that he gave up his son for you, that he who gave up his son is not gonna hold anything back from you. You can go and celebrate that today. If you'd like to, you can come and get prayer if you want. I'll be up here in the front come and get prayer if you'd like. We can talk during the week if you want to talk more, go into more detail about this stuff.
No, add a fourth way. Get this book. P-A-T-T-Y. Dave Patty. Father God. It's a great book. So let's sing. I'll get out of the way. Let you guys do business with God and enjoy.